Uh, good morning to all of you. And uh, great to have us worshipping together again, although it's in streaming uh, format. But uh, praise the Lord and thank to all of us uh, who have been actually controlling ourselves, obeying the lockdown thing and all that. And our nation have progressed on remarkably well. And thank the Lord for it and thank all of you too. And the great news, as Declan had announced just now, is that we are not working towards that uh, on the 28th, at least uh, probably we hope to do it by the 28th of this month, that we could possibly organize some form of coming together to worship together again. Maybe half the church will come to, to, to fulfill whatever requirement was put to us. So a date to look for us too is the 28th of this coming month. The 28th of this coming month. Forgive me for my head. head. Uh, it's a bad headache for me, I think. <laughs> but praise the Lord for being able to wake up in the morning to come and worship together with you. Now today... Uh, uh, all right. Uh, I just wonder whether you have s- s- such incidents in your life. Uh, I remember one day uh, while I was coming back from the construction site with my boss and driving back two hours to our factory. Then my boss jumped into the, the seat beside me and I was driving. He asked me, All right, Andrew. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about your faith. Now, he was referring to the time where I was uh, going through the interview with him to get the job which he gave me. When I saw that uh, I could have possible better offers elsewhere, I told him that because of my uh, my calling, I feel that God wants me to call call me to stay back to where I am, uh, where I was. And I will affect whatever offer he have, and because it was because I was a Christian, so he referred that to me and asked me, "Tell me about your faith." Such an opportunity presented to me. There are only two hours in the car. We have two hours driving, and I could lay down to him. But at that moment, caught by surprise, my tongues were tied. I just could not continue the conversation more than two minutes. It was such embarrassment to me too because at that time I was already preaching like this way, leading the youth fellowship, sharing the gospel to you. But that moment, I was just having my tongue tied. I wish at that moment I had the gift which women have when they so naturally share the gospel in their conversation. When I listen to when women are sharing the gospel in the playgroup or in so many situations, they seem to be able to, in a way, weave in spiritual things together with their conversation. And I praise the Lord for that. And I wish I had their gift, the nature gift to it. I just wonder, is it a man thing or is it an Andrew's thing that I could not do it? But really, I wish I had that kind of natural ability to do it. Now we are continuing our lesson on 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, as Declan has read to us. And the situation is 
I believe it was because of this the woman's natural ability to share the gospel in such a natural way that a situation arose where there are women who came to believe first before their husband. The women folk were sharing the gospel in the situation they meet when they meet with each other, maybe in the agora. Now the agora is actually the marketplace. The in 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 the first century they called it the agora. They meet in marketplace. Perhaps they have a natural way of sharing the gospel, and they have a natural way of relating their life to what they actually believe. And because of that, I believe a situation rose that there are women who actually became Christian before the husband. In that society at that time, and even now, normally, the, in many situations, the husband's belief system sort of detect what the belief system the household would have. So it was a situation which is really unnatural during that time. So you have here in 1 Peter chapter 3, women who have came to believe before their husband. Before their husband. So in that context, Peter introduced to us some pattern of the Christian family. Only limited, little, a glimpse of it. We can have a bigger discussion, a bigger uh, passage on the Bible to deal with it in other portions. But over here, we have a little of it. So it's not comprehensive, but he brings this personal relationship uh, uh, between the family into discussion here. Now, going from so our 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 passage for today is one Peter chapter three verse one to seven. Our mission field before this passage is chapter two, of course. And there were Andy, two weeks ago, brought for us a different sphere of our influence. In a, our sphere of influence in a community. A community where there is authority governing that community. It's a bigger sphere of our existence, bigger sphere where we operate on, bigger sphere of our influence, the community. And in that, we have to submit to the authority. Isn't this relevant? If we hear the news just a few days back of all the revolt. But this is my, my topic for today. And after the community, he brings the spear a bit a bit smaller, is the place of our employment in uh, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 21. The place of employment, a smaller spear. And now he even narrow it down into the smallest sphere we can think of of our, our structure that is our home our home our home all right so we are now looking at our home in chapter 3 verse 1 to 7 our home the charge that peter gave to the christian in all this sphere was to submit to the authorities of the sphere of the of, of the operation they are in, where they have found themselves in the community or in the working place, and now he brings the charge into the family unit. And he modeled it after Jesus for us to follow. Now 
just before he began chapter 3, he actually takes us to the model of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. And I will read to you. And if you have the Bible, it would be good for you to put your finger there. Because this is the model we are following. Rather than give you a, a definition of what submission is, or give you a parable, or give you an analogy. But here Peter points us first to how Christ actually submitted to what he was supposed to do. Verse 21 in chapter 2. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his step. Verse 22. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they heard their insult at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wound, you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseers of your soul. So Peter provides us with Christ as an example, even as we move on to the family unit. It's important for us to note that. Now there are a few things which I would like to draw to us when Christ was provided as an example. The first thing is that even as Christ submitted to the role he played, he did not lose his divine personhood. He remained God even as he entrapped himself in the physical body as Jesus Christ walking on earth. He did not lose any part of his divine nature. He did not lose his divine nature. He remained to be God. So that's the first thing which I want to point to you that Jesus remained in essence God even as he submitted himself to the role he played walking on the earth and dying on the cross the second thing is that when he submitted the role it was not for a it was for a good reason it was for a good reason. And the reason is that he submitted this role for the welfare of others. For the welfare of others. He came down to earth so that he will be able to save us. Even though he had to suffer tremendously till the cross, dying on the cross. So it cost him a lot, but he did it for a purpose. It was for the welfare of others. For the welfare of others. So the second part of the submission was he did it so that others can be enriched. He made the sacrifice so that others, me and you, could be enriched. So that's the second point I want to point out. And the third point from this verse that he, he trusted God to the consequences of his submission. The consequences of the, When he goes through up to the cross, he commit himself to the Lord. God the Father. And he says that God the Father resurrected him. He committed his welfare to God the Father. 
So he trusted God to the consequences of his submission. So these are the three things. And when we come to the first verse of chapter uh, 3, verse 1, when Peter charged the woman to be submissive, to, to submit to their husband, I want to superimpose on these three. In the same way, wife, be submissive to your husband. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. So, the first part of Jesus' submission, he did not lose his divine personhood. Similarly, wife, woman, also do not lose any of their intrinsic standing with God, even as they go to the role of submitting to the husband. They do not lose anything. In verse 1, they remain, verse 1 of chapter 1, they are God's chosen. Men and women believers are God's chosen. So you don't lose any part of it to be chosen by God. Even at the woman submit to, to, God, uh, to the husband. They remain to be God's chosen. Imagine to be chosen by God. The second thing is that their future inheritance. In chapter 1 verse 4. Their future inheritance continued to be shielded by God. Even as they submit to this role, their future inheritance is still secured in God. Nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. God secure, although they actually submit to this role of submitting to their husband. And even a husband who is non-believers, who have not come to believe in Jesus Christ. And the third thing, they are called living stone. As man and woman being saved by God, accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, we become living stones for the temple of God. And so is the woman too, living stone, living stone in God's house, God's spiritual house. So they remain that. And they are also called, they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God in chapter 2, verse 9. All the believers, men and women, remain to be that, whatever role they play, as slave or as citizen, as wife, even as husband. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So, first thing is, even as Jesus do not lose his intrinsic nature, so as we play the role as citizen, as, uh, as, as employee, or employer, or as husband, or as wife. The role, actually, in the role we play, we do not lose this standing with God. It is not lost. We remain the same. This is the first thing I would like to assure, uh, assure the, uh, everybody who actually goes through the, the process of submitting, that we actually remain the same in God. But allow me to actually uh, touch on these gender issues because it's because I think there is that uh, people wondering whether in the Bible there is a, 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 another a gender being more prominently uh, placed than uh, the other. Man is uh, supposed to look like playing a more important role than woman. But I believe that woman were featured 
prominently in the gospel. Women were featured prominently in the gospel. Let me take to you a few. Now, remember the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well? He sent her back to be the first evangelist to the Samaritan community. He sent her back to be the first evangelist to the Samaritan community. That is found in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. So she played a very important role in taking the gospel to the community. The second, remember the woman who anointed Jesus amidst the cynicism and the displeasure of men looking at what she's doing and wondering and sort of being cynical of what she's doing anointing Jesus? And Jesus paid in Mark chapter 14, verse 3 to 9, and Jesus paid her a very high, one of the highest compliments. Jesus said that whenever the gospel is preached, she will be remembered. Can you imagine that? Anytime the gospel is preached, this woman who anointed Jesus will be remembered. Anytime, every time the gospel is preached. Such a high compliment Jesus paid to this lady. We call the most important event that defined the gospel. There are two of them. The most important work of Jesus Christ. It defined what the gospel is, defined what our belief is. And that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember his death even as we take the Lord's Supper, the blood and the broken bread. So these are the two most important events of the Christian narrative. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that at the cross, and most men, the disciples scattered, ran away and hide. It was the woman who stay back and minister to Jesus at the foot of the cross. It was the woman who stayed back and ministered to Jesus at the foot of the cross, even as most of the disciples scatter, scatter and for safety. Such a tender moment. Such an important movement. And it was the woman who had the heart, the courage, the, the, the courage to just stay back with Jesus at that very, very critical moment. So woman, you all have that heart. And they were doing marvelous job. And uh, let's continue on. Uh, I was just saying that uh, these are the most important events of the Christian time. And we see that the women are faithfully there with Jesus Christ at this last moment. And then you won't be surprised that Jesus actually appeared to Mary Magdalene, a woman, the first person to actually see him after he came up resurrected. So ladies, women, you are featured prominently in the most important in such moment which 
I personally will long to be actually being commended for that or being there when Jesus was dying at the cross there or actually even to actually go to see the empty tomb. So, woman, you're commended very much in the gospel. And if you actually recall when Paul wrote wrote to the, uh, the Roman, in the end of the end of the letter, he commended a lot of women too. Hard working. He said, this woman worked very hard. So the women actually are well commended in the Christian world and the role they play. Now, I also... Now, before that, women also play important role in the kingdom of God now. And I have been the being blessed by a lot of women who actually helped me in the Sunday school and when I was uh, in my early uh, youth days the women actually were my uh, Bible teachers and all through the nearly 45 years of working in the Lord, seeing the church environment, I saw how women really really are the, 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 the agencies which of, of of helping the church which we feel so blessed the women even now are playing important role in the kingdom of God important role in the kingdom of God next is the submission which Christ have was not in vain he did it go through all that for the benefit of others for you and me and so submission is actually is for the welfare of the others beyond self. So when we talk about submission, submission, it is actually an action taken, a life which is actually uh, taken such a way you can channel your life to the benefit of the other. And here, the submission of the wife to the husband is that the wife will actually take the concern of the welfare of the husband as her main concern. Her main concern. So, like Christ submitting to all the thing so that we can be enriched, submission is also to enrich the others. As wife submitted and enriched, nourishes the husband in that way. And what about husband? We'll come to that later. The next thing is Christ uh, in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 he also says that in that summation the beauty of the inner self is portrayed. The beauty of the inner self is portrayed. It's a winsome beauty. It's a winsome beauty. The unbelieving husband may be won over by the behavior of their wife. When they see the purity and the reverence of their life, an inner self, unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is much better than all the ornamental they can put on themselves. And next it says that of this beauty, it is of great worth in God's sight. It's great worth in God's sight. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 2 to 4. This beauty is not only beautifying herself to the husband, the inner self, but it is also of great worth to God's sight. To God's sight. 
And the third thing is about Christ's submission, which I want to superimpose the, the submission of woman to the husband, is the protection from God. As Christ depended on God the Father for the consequences of Him going through perilous time, the cross and the resurrection, the time between, and how God resurrected Him, He depended on the Father to resurrect Him. I don't know how it works, but I want to draw the point is that when women submit to the husband, there is a vulnerability there, a vulnerability there, that you need God to protect you, you need God to actually uh, uh, be your God. Now, it was mentioned here about Sarah, it was mentioned here about Sarah, you were sick like Sarah who obeyed Abraham. Now, I can think of two instances where Sarah obeyed Abraham. I would say Abraham's failure. Abraham's failure. The first time was when Abraham in chapter uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse uh, 10 to 20, when Abraham met with the Pharaoh. And he noticed that the Pharaoh had an eye on Sarah. And, and, and Abraham told, tell, tell, tell everybody that you are my sister. He removed in that sense protection of a husband or to a wife because he was afraid. He was afraid. And he said, uh, you know, tell other people that you are my sister. And God intervened in that case. God intervened and protected Sarah. What protected Sarah? And the pharaohs actually uh, make sure he, 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 he actually gave Sarah back to Abraham. And you may think that that would have taught Abraham a lesson not to be repeated. In Genesis chapter 20, again he did that with Abimelech. The same thing, the same thing. And again, God protected Sarah. So in that thing, in that submission, you have to depend your relationship with God, your dependency on God. Your dependency on God. So these are the three things. When you submit, you do not lose any of your intrinsic value to God the Father. Your submission is not in vain, but actually it's for the benefit to nourish the other's partner. And third thing, you have to depend on God to protect that relationship of submission. We go to chapter 3, verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And he says, Husband, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way. So, husband should also submit to the welfare of the wife. Husband should submit to the welfare of the wife. If you got, you have the Bible with you. Turn to Ephesians. I'm taking to another letter which Paul wrote. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 23. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 23. It says that husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, the husband is asked to do likewise. 
we have to be in a always be concerned nourishing the wife in such a way that we take her concern above our concern we actually submit in that sense to the welfare to the good welfare of the wife so in the same way husband and wife we submit to each other's welfare loving each other and the husband have to even give himself out for the wife Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 to 23 so in this the family pattern which is given by Peter is a Christian pattern is both nourishing and restorative model it's a nourishing and restorative model the husband putting the welfare of the wife ahead of self and the reciprocal response by the wife putting her welfare uh, the husband welfare ahead of self so both are doing that this is a biblical pattern of relational caring in the role played by both the husband and the wife to, is to put the other's interest and welfare above the self-interest in this mutual concern for each other one nourishes the other as the other nourishes the, the other one so the husband nourishes the wife as the wife nourishes him it's a nourishing uh, relationship it is also restorative remember that marriage is in between two sinners a marriage is between two sinners in a fallen world that this relationship should be nourishing as well as being restorative restorative the marriage relationship is both nourishing and restorative we know that at the, the wedding the bride looked the best the husband looked the best but that is not the best the best is yet to come from that point on in Christ there is always the improvement from one glory to the next one glory to the next so this is the Christian model now the question is this family ideal is it a prescription for all or for just believers will it work for all even if you have not come to, to receive Jesus Christ as your saviour I know that some of us may be in the journey listening to me and be wondering what kind of model is this and whether it could work it seems an ideal we are moving to God's ideal of what a family is the first answer will be yes and then a bigger and no <laughs> okay before you get confused let me go through it first a yes now if you have seen the show called The Beautiful Mind The Beautiful Mind played by Russell Crowe The Beautiful Mind about the story of Dr. John Fort Nash John Fort Nash Jr. and he, he even with his, all of his brilliance he also suffered from I believe a mental illness called schizophrenia schizophrenia a wonderful uh, movie you can see it 
John Ford Nash actually is the person who gave rise to what we call the game theory. The game theory. And this game theory was actually, because of the game theory, it was used in economics. Economics, treaties, and all that are the basis. Uh, they use his game theory to actually uh, forge uh, industrial relation as well as uh, the, the, the tri uh, treaty between nations. And because of that, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize because of his work, the game theory. And in the game theory, is one of it is, it says that the outcome from a community where each and every member works for the good of the others, that community is better than one where each of the person just work for his own welfare. I repeat, you have a community of people and every person's aim was to enrich the others. To enrich the others. So everybody just aimed to enrich the others. And that community as a whole will be better in welfare, have a better outcome. Then one which all of them sit on their own side and say, I will just be responsible for my welfare. So John Fortnett found out in this game theory that the first model, and he proved it mathematical, the first model of those who enrich the community have a total better outcome than one which actually have a protected stand. I just be responsible for myself. So the Christian model actually is proven and given a Nobel Prize 2,000 years later. As the husband enriches the wife and the wife enriches the husband above self, that model is a very good model and is proven mathematically. So it will work. But I say, I conclude that no. No. And it's because of this few things. It requires the patience and the stamina that is beyond human ability. To always put yourself before others, even the husband, is a stamina which actually is beyond human. But for a Christian, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and his work to continuously sanctify both the husband and the wife. We need that internally to make this work. And when you become a believer, every believer, as stated in chapter 1, will have the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit in us. A mysterious work, a spiritual work, which we need it because this effort is beyond human strength. So you find that if you want to hold this medal, you, I find that it's almost impossible to have the patience and stamina to put others beyond yourself all the time, every time in the long run. At some point, we'll fail. We'll fail. That's the first thing. The second thing, it needs the protection and the intervention of God. You will be vulnerable in such a journey. If you go against this, go with this journey without God, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. 
But at times you need a God to intervene in situation. You need God to intervene in your life. Between the relationship between your husband and wife, you need God. You need God to be there. To change the situation. To protect you. To protect the husband. Both the husband and wife need to be protected. So without God, it's also dangerous. And the third thing is, both the husband and the wife need an accountability beyond themselves. If you just hold a moral inclination to do right, just the moral inclination to do right, it's the right thing to do. This cannot work unless you hold that what you do is you are accountable to God. You are accountable to God. You have God's rule and you are accountable to God. Something you have to uh, ascribe to. So these are the three things why I feel that if you haven't become, you haven't come to know Jesus Christ, I invite you to become His, uh, you, you come under the grace of God. I invite you to invite Jesus Christ into your life, into your family life. Into your family life. And I know that that journey will be enriching. That journey will be enriching. If you are not you're still in a journey, please be responsible for yourself. I think that's a better model. You have to take care of yourself. You have to be responsible for yourself. But we have a better model. Invite Jesus Christ into your life. Invite Jesus Christ into your family life and enjoy the blessings which He can give you. Such great blessings. So, I hope that whatever I shared, God can bring these lessons into your heart. Do consider Jesus Christ in your family life, in your life. Shall we pray? My Father God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you are not far away, but you want to interact within our life, within our family life, the husband and the wife, and the children as well. I thank you that you want us to interact within the community and you actually back us up. I thank you that you are, you are with us every moment of the day, every moment of the time we live. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ which washed us and the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit which work within us. I pray, dear Lord God, that we will always depend on you and see you work with our life. And I pray for those, dear Lord God, who are just listening in and still on the journey, that your Holy Spirit will bring your word into their life and give conviction that they can have a better life, they can have a more meaningful life, they can have their life assured in the kingdom of God, even after death. So we pray for this, the Holy Spirit working. We pray this in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen.